we talk about all the time with our guys. We want to play fast, we want to play physical, and we want to finish every rep. So those are those are three things that are nonstop every position. Being six years into the podcast, it's always fun to see what some of these guys do, how their careers progress. And I'm so excited that Jason Hotelling, who is now the offensive line coach for the Tennessee Titans, has really made a lot out of his career. We watched him go from the FCS to an assistant O-line position in the NFL. And now Mike Vrabel saying he was blown away by the interview with Coach Hotelling. So we bring this one out of our archives to share it, but I tell you a lot of what he does, I'm sure, is still the same. And he's a coach I think you will see continue to rise in the profession. Be sure to check the show notes for our other episode where he talks about wide zone. Another thorough episode as Coach shares the details of coaching the wide zone play, which I'm sure will be a big part of the Titans' offense. And I'll also share a link to his Lawrence First and Goal talk. He spoke at the second annual virtual clinic in 2022. We have the third annual Lawrence First and Goal clinic coming up in 2023. The funds raised in this clinic directly goes to families who need help as their children undergo cancer treatment. It pays for their expenses, their travel to be there with their children. I can't emphasize enough how important this clinic is and the giving of our coaches who present in it, just like Coach Hotelling. So I'll link that one in the show notes as well. It's lfgf2023.coachesclinic.com. Here's our episode with Coach Hotelling. I'm excited to be joined today by the head football coach at Wagner and FCS school, Coach Jason Hotelling. Coach, it's great to have you here. Keith, great to be here. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Well, Coach, I told you before, I started to learn a, a lot about you really through some other guys I've had on the podcast with Vince Digitano, who spent some time with you over there recently, Stephen Siasi, who joined me, I think, last week on the podcast. So it's finally good to get around to the guy I really was hearing about was Coach Haas. I know those guys call you Coach Haas. Where does that, where does that nickname come from? Boy, that comes all the way from all the way back in like junior high school. And I think it followed me to my, my uh, prep school coaching days at, at Milford Academy and, and Coach Hamline when he hired me as a GA way back in 04, or excuse me, 06. He's my last name, and no one here could pronounce my last name. And next thing you know, he heard someone call me Hoss, and it kind of stuck from then on. So, uh, But, yeah, that goes all the way back to my uh, junior high school playing days. Uh, one of the assistant coaches gave me that nickname, and it kind of stuck. So, Coach, I know you've, you've been able to be at Wagner here a couple different times, and then eventually were promoted to the head coach position. But talk to us a little bit about that start in coaching and you know really when was that time in your life where you said you know I really want to be a football coach it's kind of a long story but to get into it I mean I knew in high school I wanted to coach football you know I was hoping I'd be a little better college player than I was and I ended up starting my career at Lafayette College and uh, played for coach Russo and and I was injured my freshman year and actually transferred out and right right then I knew I said I'm going to be a I'm going to be a football coach. And originally I thought I was going to coach high school ball and be a teacher and, you know, possibly coach football, basketball and baseball and do that whole thing. And, and as I finished my degree at Binghamton university, I was an assistant on my high school team. And once I graduated, I said, you know what, I, I'm going to try the college thing out. And I was lucky enough to start my coaching career 
you know, my first full-time job at Milford Academy in New Berlin, New York, which if you know anything about Milford, I mean, it had just moved from Connecticut. And the greatest thing there was just the players. I mean, we had great players and I'm lucky enough to have Terrence Knighton on my staff now as a D-line coach. And he was a player there at Milford. But yeah, I got, I got to go to Milford and, and coach defense and for two years, be around great players and great coaches. And Coach Bill Chaplick did a tremendous job helping those young men out. And he did a tremendous job helping me out as a coach. And I was able to get a graduate assistant job here in January of 06, solely because Coach Hamline thought I could recruit. He didn't think I could coach a lick, I don't think. But he knew I could help get him players from Milford. Came here as a GA and you know, actually moved from the defensive side of the ball to the offensive side of the ball about a week before spring football he came in the back office and told me I was going to coach running backs so so that's how it all started and just kind of have worked from there that name nickname Haas kind of goes along with an offensive lineman I was reading somewhere in, in in your bio about that transition you had to make from being a fullback and maybe a guy who got to touch the ball a little bit to putting your hand in the dirt on the offensive line what was that like for you and and how much has really that offensive line mentality played into who you are as a coach well I think you know going all the way back to my playing days it was really I played offensive line on necessity and making the move was it, it was what football is all about which is the team you know and, and I think that's something that I hope everybody who is ever a part of Wagner football is understands that it's about the team the team the team and you know making that move to the O-line was fun you know I enjoyed it and as far as coaching goes when I transitioned from defense to offense after leaving Milford, it was, hey, I'm going to coach the offensive line like their defensive linemen. And that being said, you know, there's some stereotypes, hey, we're going to play a little slower up front. We're going to pound our feet in the ground. We're not going to attack. We're going to react. And I just, from the very beginning, it was, hey, we're going to have fun with the O-line. We're going to attack, and we're going to play like defensive linemen. We're going to finish our blocks. We're going to run off the football and play with that a little bit of swagger on the O-line and and a tough, gritty group. That was from the very beginning, way back. I think I took over the offensive line here. My first year was 07. And it was the first thing I wanted to do is instill that attitude of we're going to come after guys like we're defensive linemen. And I think the guys have fun with that. And then you can kind of maybe mold an an athletic D-lineman into an O-lineman as well. And we kind of done that quite a bit here as well. Coach, you made that transition from – being the offensive coordinator and assistant coach at Wagner, and then being the replacement for Coach Hamline, who had been there, I believe it was for 34 years. That's not always an easy thing to do. Certainly those situations present a a great opportunity, but I think for that that coach stepping into that role, for the guy who's been there and and really built the program for a long time, a little bit uh, of the responsibility to 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 carry that on. What was that like for you in in transitioning from being the assistant coach there to the head coach? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was a tough transition. I mean, Coach Hamline, uh, one of my mentors, a guy that's done so much for for myself and my family. I you know I can't ever thank him enough. But the transition was you know it, it was a rocky first year to be honest with you. I mean. We had gone from having, you know, seven full-time coaches to six, and there was some changes that maybe I should have handled a little differently. You look back on it, and there was times during that 2015 season where it was, I sat there and thought, okay, how would Coach Hamline handle this? Where, 
you know, I probably should have been thinking, what's the best way to handle this for you, for myself? I, I think that's something that I would give anybody who's ever taking over a program, you know, and replacing or, or trying to replace a legend is, hey, do it your way and, you know, make sure you have your ideas set in stone. And, and obviously, you know, Coach Hamline had, had kind of molded me into who I was as a coach. So there was going to be that influence, but it was that first year I found myself asking, hey, how would Coach have handled this? probably a little too much. And, you know, it was a tough first year, but we made some changes going into year two. And, and I think we've just consistently worked towards getting better and better and better. And at the end of the day, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And going through that 2015 season really helped me grow as a coach and, and learn from some mistakes and learn from the successes we did have after. Certainly along the way, you pick up a lot and, and uh, you learn from those mentors. You learn from Coach Hamline. But like you said, that program – eventually, and, and probably your advice is sooner than later, needs to become your own. You have to put your own signature on it. So when you look at your program and, and you know, call them whatever you want, the foundation of your program or the pillars or you know, what is it you're building your program upon? We talk about all the time with our guys, we want to play fast, we want to play physical, and we want to finish every rep. So those are, those are three things that are nonstop every position. And fundamentally, you want to be a great football program, you know, and I think fundamentally what happens every play, you have to know where your eyes are going, where your hands are going, where your feet are going. And then you want to make sure your feet, hands and eyes are doing what they need to do from snap to whistle. So those are a couple things, you know, first and foremost, we're going to talk about graduating our guys. Anyone who's been involved in this program has heard me say it is more than just a game. Football changes lives. Football is much about society as any sport you know it takes young men and women and it takes them from every economic background race religion whatever and it brings them together and focuses them on one goal and it's so much more than just a game you know the life lessons that are taught in football in a football locker room or on a football field in august when it's 90 degrees those life lessons they can take form with them forever and so you know, I talk about it being more than just a game. We talk about from a team standpoint, how we want to play. Yeah, we want to play fast. We want to play physical. We want to finish. When someone puts our film on, those are the three words I want them to say. I want them to say Wagner plays fast, Wagner plays physical, and wow, do they finish plays. And then as far as an individual mentality, okay, I tell my guys, and we talk about it quite frequently, uh, what, when, and how very simple do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it but most importantly how it's supposed to be done and to build on that that means everybody in the program has to understand why we're doing things that's a teacher when you can sit in a room and, and to me coaching is teaching and I think to everybody listening coaching is teaching so when you sit in your individual meetings you're blocking up inside zone well get your right guard up there have him teach it because that's when you know he really understands it you know, why are we doing this? Why are we running outside or inside zone to, to a shade or, or whatever the, you know, the, the schematics of your offense or defense are, you know, as long as the players understand the why and the coaches obviously better understand the why, you know, you're in a successful program. So those are some things, you know, just a game, what, when, and how. And then as far as our film goes, let's see some guys that are, that are playing fast and playing physical and finishing every rep. Coach, let's focus a little bit on the coaching staff and 
you know, a lot of places you can walk through those doors and get a feel right away for what the program is like based on the way those guys both interact, you know, how they're carrying themselves, what kind of the attitude is around there, etc. Certainly have been in those places where everybody's uptight and worried and have been in the places where, you know, guys are are laid back with each other, have a great relationship, have a lot of fun, but, you know, are able to go out on the field and and do all the right things. And, you know, looking at some of the guys who have been through your program, I know you have uh, two former coaches uh, in the NFL right now. I believe it's just two. Maybe you got a couple more, but uh, two that I know of with the Broncos. And so you've been able Mm -hmm. to get some great guys through the door, but how do you create that staff, you know, outside of just bringing in experts, a staff that's going to work together and create that culture that you want? It's so important. You know, I went through, we talked about that 2015 season, which was really tough. And anyone who's ever been through a season where you start off, you know, 0-9 and, and, you know, it was just a really hard year. So I went through a serious, you know, self-reflection after that, just like you do every season. And I was able to go to Atlanta. Uh, one of my best friends in coaching, Keith Carter, who has been a tremendous help for me. We actually started here together as GAs in 2006, and he's now the offensive line coach of the Tennessee Titans. But he was at that time the assistant line coach of the Atlanta Falcons. And he said, Hoss, why don't you come down, spend some time with us? I think Coach Quinn and his message will, will help you. You know, because in 2015, I didn't have any fun. And if the head coach isn't having any fun, the staff's not having any fun and the players yeah. sure aren't having any fun, you know, and that's where it all stemmed from. So I was able to go down there in 2016 and just kind of not remake myself, but refocus on what the important parts of your program are. And I was able to sit in on some team meetings with coach Quinn and what a tremendous atmosphere those were, you know, what he's created in Atlanta. Players want to be there. Players want to play there. And, so that helped a ton. I was able to bring Rich Scangarello from that staff up here and, you know, just having a positive outlook on everything and trying not to get down on the negative too much. And, you know, obviously it's not, you know, every day can't be perfect, but, you know, let's find a positive in every experience we have. So as we walk through those doors, you know, you asked about the staff. I want guys that are number one are great people and are going to come in here and, and have a good time and love coaching football just love coaching ball, being a part of the game, you know, but there's also a happy medium there. You know, it can't be, you know, you can't be down in the dumps and and you can't be, you know, uh, I remember in 2015, I sat in my office after one loss and I heard some assistant coaches laughing in the hallway and it drove me nuts. I'm like, how can they laugh at anything right now? But then again, you can't be okay with being bad either. You know, so I think there's a happy medium that you have to find, but Number one, we're going to have fun in what we do. We're going to fly around. We're going to compete in everything we do. I want a staff that loves their players and enjoys being around players and enjoys molding players and developing players. That's the one thing I think that has to be fun is you want to take a young man who maybe six months prior couldn't do something, and when he does it, that's a win. And that's going to have a huge positive effect on your program. I think when you walk through our doors, you're going to have, you're going to find a bunch of energetic guys from coach Wilson to Lee Hall to Dell Smith to Terrence Knight, all these guys, there's a ton of energy and it's going to be positive energy. Our players are in our office all the time. I think that's a huge positive for our program. You know, when people see our kids sitting in here watching film with us, all, all those things, I just think that's the direction everything's going and you have to build on that. You have to care about your players. They have to know that you care. There has to be a trust there. 
then that will help as far as the development of the player. I go back to Greg Zanat, our sixth round draft pick from 2018, and four games into his career, it wasn't great. And he just continued to trust, continued to believe, continued to get better. And next thing you know, obviously he had the physical tools, but he had to be taught how to play offensive line. And, you know, now he's with the Baltimore Ravens. So all in all, I know I threw a lot at you there, but when you walk through our doors, you're going to find a staff that's energetic, upbeat, having fun with their guys and developing young men. Coach, you mentioned earlier that a coach, I can't remember which coach you, you, you said it was, it was coach Hamline or somebody else, but you know, bringing you in to be able to be a guy who could recruit and get those players in. And, you know, certainly uh, I, I could tell you have that kind of a, a personality. And that's an important thing. we got to get them in the door. But once right. you get them in the door, the development part of that becomes so important. It, it, it can't just stop because you got them there and you're going to go try find somebody better next year. you got to develop them for the four years and really – you know, used to talk to players all the time that this isn't about four years. This is about 40 years, right? This is your career and everything that comes after football. So what kinds of things are you doing to develop your players, both on and off the field? Yeah, Coach Hamline, that's what I said earlier. He brought me here only because he thought I could recruit. He didn't think I could coach a lick or develop anyone, I don't think. I think once you get them here, it starts with the relationship from the head coach to the coordinator to the assistant coach with that individual player. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to, hey, what's your goals? What are your goals individually? Five years from now, where do you want to be? And athletically, five years from now, where do you want to be? And they all, you know, we fill out our goal sheets and, and we can always then come back to that. And if they're doing something that's not helping them attain their goal, then we have to have a, you know, we have to have a discussion. But I think off the field, we want to get them involved with community service and let them know that in life, you're going to enjoy giving back probably more so than you are receiving, you know, so we try and get them around as many young people in the area as we can. I think, you know, that this school is built on that Wagner college. Part of the curriculum here is, is community service and getting involved. So that's a great asset we have here at Wagner. And then in the classroom, we talk about developing people. Well, I think the ability to communicate and articulate and have conversations in our classrooms because they're so small, I think that helps with the development of young men. And just having the knowledge and the know-how to go out in the world and talk about your opinions, talk about your feelings, I think that's a huge part of today's world. So as far as off the field, that development's there, obviously prioritizing education, making sure our guys are graduating. And again, we talk about doing what, when, and how. You know, what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, how it's supposed to be done, no matter what the circumstance. You know, that carries over into life. You know, I talk to them a lot about being a husband, being a father, going to work every day, no matter what the circumstance, there's going to be some times where you might not want to do something and you have to do it. So, you know, that's the off-field development. I think on the field, you have to look at what you can do, and then you have to realize what you can't do, and you have to get better at what you can and be able to develop the ability to do some of the things you can't. For example, if you're an offensive lineman, that maybe your foot speed's a little slower and maybe you, you don't get them in the ground fast enough. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to do some jump rope stuff. We're going to do some change of direction stuff to try and help you out. You have to identify those problems early on. For example, not to name names, but I have a young man here right now who, you know, his feet, they're, they're good. He's got great knee bend, but his feet move a little slow. Now, if he was to run a 40, he'd be really, really, he'd probably be one of the faster guys. But his foot speed as far as getting them in the ground, has to improve. So 
you know, we focused on that this summer. So I think you have to identify what you don't do well and what you do well and then work on those things. And then obviously the weight room, the strength conditioning program, the nutrition part of it. There's so many things that go into developing young men now and young athletes. You know, the rest part of it, the stretching, the the rolling out of the muscles, all those things. So everybody, we have an individual file on everybody on our football team. And everybody has a goal weight. Everybody has an idea of what they have to do to be the best version of themselves possible. In reading your bio, Keith Carter who was a, a former Wagner college assistant coach and that San Jose and was with the 2014 Super Bowl champion Seattle Seahawks said that you're about as blue collar and as tough as they come. And <laughs> I'm sure that's a little bit of that offensive line mentality. When you look at how you've put together your systems, you've put together your offense, especially since you are more of an offensive guy, how does that translate, that blue-collar approach, that toughness approach? You know, what, what kind of things are you really going to base that offense on? Well, one, I want to thank Keith for saying that. Uh, we go back, me and him, uh, we used to go days probably without speaking because we'd be arguing about how to block a certain blitz. But uh, when we were young, and he's one, he's one of the best online coaches I've ever been around, and he's just a tremendous guy, and he talks about iron sharpening iron and that's probably the best phrase I can say when we talk about my relationship with Keith is I never wanted to let him down and I don't think he ever wanted to let me down and so that's that relationship but as far as our offense goes and, and our schematics and the toughness part of it it comes down to you have a job to do no matter what position you're playing on on offense or even defense here at Wagner or any program you know I don't think we're doing anything crazy or or anything that any, any other football coach isn't trying to get done Every player has a job to do on every play. And regardless of what your opponent does, you need to get it done. So I think that comes back to the toughness part of not accepting anything but your best effort, number one. I talk to our guys all the time. Hey, I'm not going to get on you. If you give great effort, you give great effort, we can work with that. You know, and I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it goes back to my childhood as far as, my upbringing and, you know, my father being a custodian and uh, four kids in the family or, and mom, you know, she was a caretaker and stuff and all that. I, I don't know. I just know that you have to, with enough hard work, you can accomplish just about anything you want to accomplish. And, you know, our offensive scheme, you know, we are a pro style. We're going to, we're going to run the football, but we put this in in 2016 and, you know, Rich Gangarello, obviously one of the best offensive minds in football. He's now the OC of the Broncos. He brought it from Atlanta. I made the decision to go pro style. And you want what we're trying to accomplish on offense is every play wants to start the same, at least in our first and second down model. You know, obviously third down, everyone has a little different deal defensively and offensively now. But from an offensive standpoint, we want every play to start looking the same. We want to build plays on top of plays. And the toughness part of it is just everybody doing their job, no matter what the circumstance. Coach, this next question is, is one I'm going to ask and reserve the ability to edit it out if need be. But I had a, a call-in question from somebody about what is the hardest defense to play against? <laughs> uh, I would say we play, we, we've played an odd front. And, you know, since I took over, the hardest defense for, for us to block when I was an offensive coordinator, you know, we were running the read and, and stuff like that, was, was the Oki defense that was moving and stunting and, 
you know, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, Coach Masella and Coach Malik Hall, two guys that, that defensively do a tremendous job. Coach Brinson, Tony Brinson, you know, one of the best football coaches out there. He left and went to, to Moorhead, but he's a he's a great football coach, great recruiting coordinator. But as far as defensive football, the hardest thing we were running the read stuff was the Oakey front because they would they would mess with the backside tackle. You know, you could never get a free release to the inside linebacker. So, so that I, I would tell you that the the odd front is the hardest defense to block when you're in a read scheme. I would tell you probably, you know, the the best defense I ever played against when we weren't a read team was Dartmouth in 2013 when I was the OC at Cornell. They basically played two fronts and two coverages, and it was Coach Dobes up at up at Dartmouth, and he's been tremendous, and they. You know, it was kind of two. It's kind of two different worlds. You know, you have the Oki front that's going to move and stunt and blitz a lot, which is hard to hard to block, obviously. And then the four three scheme at Dartmouth, they like I said, they hardly did anything, but they did it the best I've ever seen. You knew they were going to play cover two, and they did it really well, and they they stopped what you wanted to do. And so I guess if you're a read team, it's Oki front. You want to give as many backside reads to that quarterback as you can. And if you're if you're playing a non-read team. You know, it's probably a four down, two high shell where you rotate the safeties. Coach, I've been also given this defense named Dog Mufasa. <laughs> oh, Dog Mufasa. Yeah, that's that. that uh, there's a guy at Georgia Southern who could talk about that named Fitz. Uh, but yeah, Tony Brinson, that was that was a, a name that did gave Tony Brinson's defense uh, one of his calls. Uh, I forget what late night, late Monday night, we we're trying to fit a blitz or something against probably sacred heart or someone. I don't know, but uh, yeah, dog Mufasa. <laughs> coach, not to belabor the point, but again, the offensive line, an important thing for you, both as a player, as a coach, that mentality, how do you guys develop your offensive linemen at Wagner? Yeah, I think it starts with understanding that you're one unit, you know, the, the game of football now with the matchups and there's been some individuality that have come into play a little bit, but, that offensive line has to play together. And you know what? At the end of the day, no one can really do their job on offense if that old line doesn't get done what they have to get done. So number one, first day of camp or first day in the summer when you have them all together, fellas, we need each other, and we have to work with each other. So that starts right away. And then I think the development, you go run game, pass game. Again, I've always talked about eyes, hands, feet. Where are your eyes? Where are your hands? Where are your feet? And then once you get into a block, it's about from the base, it's feet, 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 hands, eyes. So it's almost like a, it's like a cycle, you know, eyes, hands, feet, pre-snap, feet, hands, eyes, post-snap. So, you know, we get into that a lot. Base fundamentals of offensive line play are not different. You know, whether you're a college guy who, you know, and that's the big argument now is, is how you're going to block things. Are you going to be a guy that lifts, you know, and stands straight up off the ball or, you know, it goes back and forth, but. At the end of the day, fundamentally, in the run game, you want to stay attached. And in the pass game, you want to keep them off you. You know, you want to play as long as you possibly can in the pass game. And then you want your eyes under either their chin or in their armpit, whatever your scheme calls for. And I think as far as developing those guys here, you know, it starts with the effort mentality. You know, you're a grinder. You're going to come off the ball and and for four to six seconds or however long it takes, you are going to try and keep your man from getting near the football. You have to know where your help is. We talk about the combination blocks. If I'm the right tackle, 
or I'm the guard or I'm the center or, or whatever, there's only a few things that defender can do. If he's on the ball, he can go around you, he can go through you, or he can go inside of you. Those are the three things he can do, right? So now if, if I have a guy on me, I have to know how I'm going to react to every one of those things. If I'm a guy who doesn't have a guy on me and he's off the ball, well, okay, what, who am I helping? How am I helping? And what am I going to do if that guy comes inside or goes outside or tries to go through? So I think you have to break it down in the simplest form. And you have to play with, with great leverage and, and great effort. So, uh, you know, the development's been there. You know, we've, we've had a lot of success on the offensive line since 2007. Uh, like I said, I think that was my first year as the O-line guy. And I think it's just the effort has to be there and then why you're doing things and how you're doing things. Coach, I know in your role as the head coach and offensive coordinator, you're not doing this all on your own. And while offensive line development is very important to you, have you had other coaches help you along the way? Absolutely. You know, when I decided to change offenses from the, the read offense in 15 to go into the pro style, obviously we were lucky enough to bring in Coach Scangarello from Atlanta and uh, Coach Calabrese followed up with him. And obviously they're both now with the Broncos. But in 2014, when I came back from Cornell, I was able to bring a guy in, Stefan Wheeler, who was a great player at Michigan State. He was the offensive coordinator at Milford Academy. And uh, he's an online guy who played for Jeff Stoutland, who obviously is a tremendous offensive line mind and coach. And so lucky enough to have Stefan Wheeler. And, and obviously we worked together on a lot of things, but he kind of molded the group. Steven Siassi was involved as well as the tight ends coach that year in 14. So we've had a bunch of guys. And then, you know, Stefan Wheeler, I mean, he really molded those guys from 2014 through 2018. Obviously it was a team type deal and it's never easy being the offensive line coach for a head coach who wasn't a line coach I can tell you that but Steph just did a tremendous job and work ethic through the roof and technique and all that and he's now at Rhode Island but yeah so uh, as far as the O-line go, goes I think having a head coach who's an O-line guy and also you know an assistant who is as thorough and, and good as Steph was just really put us in the forefront of the FCS and the conference as far as development of offensive linemen. Coach, when you look at all the things you do to build your program, and you know, whether that's your offense, your defense, these guys on and off the field, what's the one thing you do that you feel really gives your guys the winning edge? Again, we talk about the why. You know, when we talk about the why, they know this. They know if we go into a game and we play harder than the other team, we got a shot. No matter who you're playing, if you play harder than the other team, you got a shot. And then understanding the why. You know, I know this. I know defensively. We have to play great defense. We have to take care of the football. And then on offense, we have to make explosive plays. But just having a program that understands what, when, and how, and then that deep belief that as long as we play harder than this other team, we got a shot. Those are some things we talk about nonstop. Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the podcast. And uh, we'd love to have you back sometime. Best of luck to you and the Seahawks in 2019. Thank you very much. Appreciate all your hard work and everything you do. Again, be sure to check out the show notes to our link to our other episode with Coach Hotelling, as well as his course on Coach 2 for Lawrence First and Goal. Be sure to check out Lawrence First and Goal Clinic. We have a lot of big names presenting there. NFL, FBS, FCS coaches primarily. Also some great small college guys from D2, D3, and NAIA. Again, that one is at lfgf2023.coachesclinic.com. 
Follow all we're doing on coachingcoordinator.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.